It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts. Radio. News. There's a funny phrase going around in many banking and commercial real estate circles these days. Extend and pretend. You pretend that the value of the building is the same and you you extend the loan, right? So you, you don't recognize the loss on the bank's balance sheet. That's Bloomberg real estate reporter Patrick Clark. And as he said, extend and pretend is exactly what it sounds like. A bank extends a loan to a borrower and pretends that the value of the building has stayed the same. Except... In today's economy, nothing has stayed the same. The exodus of office workers from downtowns after the COVID-19 pandemic, and then the rapid rise in interest rates, flipped a lot of long-held commercial investment norms on their head. Natalie Wong covers commercial real estate at Bloomberg. For a long time, you had investors and lenders pouring money into offices, specifically U.S. offices, because that was seen as like a safe alternative to bonds. She says those investments were backed by high-quality buildings at a time when no one would have guessed that companies wouldn't have a need for workers in the office. So as long as you had companies growing, you would have these basically long-term investments that were backed by stable rising rents. But now, with many of these loans nearing maturity, commercial property deals in the U.S. are picking back up at deep discounts and forcing lenders to face just how far real estate prices have fallen. Today on the show, we discuss the widespread concern that these losses will ripple across the global financial system and what it means for U.S. cities. This is The Big Take from Bloomberg News. I'm Sarah Holder. We're finally at a point where, you know, there's indication from central banks around the world that even if rates don't come down, at least they'll be stable for the foreseeable future, which is allowing people to make more calculations. But at the same time, it's also starting to initiate um, more deals. We're starting to see deals picking up. Like, for example, you know, there's an office building on 1740 Broadway. It's an office building in Manhattan, Blackstone, a very reputable big asset manager, bought the building just a couple of years ago, spent quite a bit of money renovating the building, making it sort of the an office building that people talk about today with amenities that's going to attract people, um, that's going to attract people back to work. And they walked away from that building two years ago. They just decided to cut their loss because it wasn't worth it to put in, they say, good money after the bad. And now the debt that's behind that building is being marketed at a 50% discount. So you're seeing these massive discounts on these prominent buildings start to show up in the market, and it's a lot harder for 
whether it's the investor or the lender, to tell the regulators that the value of a lot of their buildings haven't fallen greatly. And so, so I think this is starting to create more pressure, you know, a little bit of panic too from parts of, you know, the, the lenders that hold these loans, um, maybe even the owners of these buildings to finally start to realize and admit just how far values have fallen. And in some cases, you know, it could be that the building that they owned is only at dirt value. So, Patrick, what these transactions are telling the market and investors and developers is the true value of these buildings. And that's indicating to them that we can't just extend and pretend anymore. You know, when everyone is pretending, then we can all pretend. Nobody knows. No office buildings have sold this year. How can you possibly say that my building is worth 50% of what it used to be, what I paid for it? But now you've got these high-profile examples, and it gets harder. And I think one of the reasons that you could look at is, like, if you argue that interest rates might come down, if they did rapidly, there's a way they can just sort of skate through this, and maybe the values will come back up because it's very much intertwined to the borrowing costs. But I think people are starting to recognize that, at least in the near-term future, interest rates may not go up, but they will stay the same. And therefore, they have to start underwriting the costs of their property, um, the costs of their investments at that level. So, Patrick, what is the scale of the problem here? How many millions of dollars of property holdings are we talking about being at risk? We said $20 trillion worth of commercial property in the U.S. That's the best number available. But at any rate, it's a bigger number than I can get my head around. There's more than a trillion dollars worth of commercial real estate loans reaching maturity point in 2024 and 2025. Again, what is a trillion dollars? It's a lot. And the problem is that the buildings are no longer worth as much as they were. That's the heart of the problem. And again, for the buildings that are performing well, it's less of a problem, but it's still an issue. The building is likely worth less, so the bank's collateral is not as good. It can't extend as much credit. And so it's harder to refinance the property. And then maybe it is a building that has these huge problems because people aren't showing up to work anymore. People are logging on from home. Now the collateral is worth an even greater discount. And so that's where you get in this situation where you can't extend and pretend anymore. And the borrower is going to decide either okay, I'm going to go in my wallet and I'm going to come up with some extra money and I'm going to make this right. Or at that point, the borrower can also just say, bye-bye, it's your building now. And then it's the lender's problem. And Natalie, this isn't just a problem for the U.S., right? Is there risk here for financial institutions and lenders globally? Yes, it's it's rippling out already. We're seeing across the global financial system, um, you know, with the New York Community Bank shock in January when, you know, their stock completely plunged because they were marking down much bigger reserves for losses tied to commercial real estate. We saw it start to ripple out in Japan. The Azora Bank also took a big hit with losses mainly tied to U.S. commercial real estate, struggling U.S. offices. South Korea, their asset managers and their lenders were very big on U.S. commercial real estate and office loans over the past few years. And so they're expecting a wave of bad loans to come too. But it's it's shocking um, because these are long-term institutional investors. They're supposed to make smart investments. They're not the ones taking the biggest risk. And they're already starting to see some of the impacts of having to mark down these lower values. And we're starting to see them, some of them at least, you know, 
cut their losses on specific things, but they're exposed to the U.S. real estate market. After the break, what these loans coming due mean for the U.S. banking industry and who might come out of this on top. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. So, I mean, if they can't get these loans off their books, what does that mean for the banking sector? How much trouble could these banks be in? I think there's a general sense, even irrespective of commercial real estate woes, that there might be too many banks in the U.S. You know, there's like 4,500 banks or, or, you know, we're real estate reporters, not necessarily banking experts. But we certainly hear people say, over the next couple of years with commercial real estate debt as a catalyst, hundreds if not thousands of banks are going to go away either because they go out of business or they need to be swallowed up or they need to join forces with another weak bank to survive. But certainly one that that our newsroom is really keyed in on to to see how this plays out. Mm -hmm. And so this is mostly a problem for these smaller and and regional and and mid-sized banks. It's a bigger problem for them. You know, I mean, if you're JP Morgan and you you have all of these different businesses that generate revenue for you and your commercial mortgages are a much smaller percentage of the assets on your balance sheet. And so if those assets wind up getting, you know, turning out to be worth 70 cents on the dollar, you're still, you know, I'm not saying that's the case there, but you can come back from that. Whereas, you know, if you're a regional bank in Tulsa and, you know, you've got a few bad office loans, like that could wind up being a really big deal for you. I guess, like, there are winners and losers here, right? Who are, who are the winners? There's a lot of people out there that are flush with cash. Some of the buildings that we talked about that were in distress, you know, the owners that walked away from it, like Blackstone, just closed a record-breaking property fund last year. They have more than $30 billion in capital commitments, and they're actively out there looking to invest that money in real estate. They were the buyers of the largest chunk of that failed signature bank uh, commercial real estate loans, um, and they were the buyers behind that. So you have them walking away from this one-off office building that they wrote off two years ago on Broadway in New York City, but on the other hand, they're deploying billions of dollars into other real estate opportunities, right? So they're still bullish on the sector. I think you can also take solace in the creative destruction aspect of it. Like, the reason why these office buildings are not worth as much is because they're functionally obsolete or largely obsolete. And we shouldn't try to hold on to that, right? Commuting 
60 minutes, 90 minutes, whatever, to go sit in a dreary office building, you know, with bad fluorescent lighting and, you know, one of those sort of warren of cubicle type things. Like, why save that? Who was that good for? So I think it's not all bad when things age out of usefulness. We have something else that's better now. Well, Natalie, Patrick, thank you so much for being here and sharing your reporting. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Big Take from Bloomberg News. I'm Sarah Holder. This episode was produced by Alex Sugiura. It was edited by Caitlin Kenny and Kara Wetzel. It was fact-checked by Stacey Renee. It was mixed by Alex Sugiura. Our senior producers are Naomi Shaven and Jill Duddy Carley. We get editorial direction from Elizabeth Ponzo. Nicole Beamsterbohr is our executive producer. Sage Bauman is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash radio.